Welcome to yet another episode of Shortcast of a Coffee. My guest today is Murali Neelakanthan. Murali is a graduate of the 96th batch of the NLSIU and was one of the first India educated lawyers to have become a partner in an English law firm. After moving back to India, he worked as a senior partner at Khaitan and Company before joining Sipla as a global general counsel. After Sipla, Murli is currently focusing on a variety of policy, education and other projects. Murli has a wealth of experience in pharma and the Indian judicial system which we will uncover in this two episode series. Unfortunately, this will be an audio only episode as we faced some bandwidth issues, but as Murli jokingly put it once, quote, I have a great face for the radio. Stop good. But I really hope the quality of the conversation makes up for it so without further ado let's get into the conversation uh, really really great points uh murli i want to move to uh, your your life with the indian pharma industry uh you were with sipla for many 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 years um and i noted uh, a few of your articles uh, which talked about the poor manufacturing standards quality control issues uh, and you know negligent uh, regulation in the indian pharmaceutical industry and we are talking at a time when india is sort of taking pride as the pharmaceutical capital of the world uh, you know at least in in the media that's how it's being portrayed now uh, there is a bit of a uh, you know it, it's 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 ironical that at at in on one side we are talking about the poor manufacturing sides and then on the other we are taking pride in the fact that india is this pharmaceutical uh, juggernaut um, what are your thoughts on on that uh, both can be true and as an indian with at the time you lived in india you will remember things that were labeled export quality so if you went to any store to buy anything it could be mangoes okay it doesn't have to be some sophisticated stuff you would get export quality and then you would get local you would get company and you would get local so you now have three categories you have export quality which is top notch then you've got company which is branded and then you got local and they have three different prices indicative of the three different levels of quality and that's exactly what's happening in the indian pharmaceutical space so we produce products for the developed world that are meeting the quality standards of those countries so you go to the united states you go to uk you go all over europe all those products there made in india but of the quality standards applicable in those countries then you have indian quality and quality for developing countries so india and like markets then you have quality that is below that which is for local markets within india in some cases and for the really poor countries so africa latin america some parts of asia so we've got three different quality products even in the pharmaceutical space 
Yeah, and for those of the listeners who are really interested in this, there are two books they should read. Uh, the first one is Bottle of Lies by Catherine Eben, which deals with this in great detail. And there's a more recent book by Dinesh Thakur and Prashant Reddy called The Truth Pill. You know, it's scary but true. Hmm. Yeah, I mean the the quality issues in in something like say food is is pretty evident. I mean my my parents were here and uh, they were pointing pointing me at you know the, the the quality difference in rice that you get here versus India, um, and and I guess it applies to medicine as well. Um, I think. Uh, you know, when India is becoming the pharma capital of the world, it's only for other countries, right? It's only with respect to export and, and not so much for uh, the Indian market itself. Uh, so I, I want you to break down why that is or or how this adulteration is done. Is it adulteration, by the way? The, the, the low quality of pharma, is it adulteration or is it something else that leads to the reduction in quality? Uh, pharma quality is a function of the whole life cycle of that product. So if you're producing a quality product for the US market, quality happens to be checked at every stage in the process. So from the first raw material, which is produced in a different country, perhaps in a different place, let's say China in this case, and then processed maybe seven times before it comes to India. Then it is processed at least two or three times more before it becomes a pill. So you could have nine stages of manufacture of a very basic aspirin or paracetamol or any of these very basic things. Now quality, standards exist for each part of that process. So what happens when it moves from one plant to another? What happens when it enters the gate of a factory? Where is it stored? How is it stored? How is it checked? What testing do you do there? And there are tests at every stage of the manufacture all the way to the time they reach the pharmacy. And there is testing at the pharmacy level itself. So if you're in the US, CVS will actually take samples and test for it before it puts it out in the pharmacies. That is what we expect in quality. Now, in India, if you don't do any of that, and the end product, let's say, has zero active ingredient in it, so let's assume it's only chalk, what happens? Well, the person manufacturing it is able to produce it for nothing, makes a nice profit on it, doesn't get caught. Even if that person does get caught, never goes to jail. At most will be fined 20,000 rupees. So again, we go to incentives. What is the incentive on anyone to produce any drug? Very low. So you're expecting the market, which is you and I, to figure out that this tablet doesn't work and the market responds collectively, magically, to rejecting that product. So 
in the worst sense of market we will have in india where you and i have this collective consciousness about this one product that together we figure out that this product is a bad product and we will collectively not buy that product that's cuckoo land right never happens we don't have that kind of exchange of knowledge and information amongst consumers in this country and therefore you have proliferation of these bad manufacturing plants with terrible products and we don't know which is good which is bad it's the job of the regulator to do it they don't do it at all and therefore we have large volumes you know we're talking millions of these products out in the market every year now in any other country as soon as we know there is one of these products there will be action which is we will first recall it then we'll shut down the plant hmm. it doesn't happen in india so we get more and more of the same product from the same plants and that incentivizes more people to get into the business because it's a very profitable business what's the cost cost of chalk easy yeah that is crazy i think uh, seems like the uh, the issue is twofold one is um, you know the pharma companies saving costs when it comes to testing and quality control and then that is sort of triggering the the manufacturer or or the plants to to just give out inferior products uh, and and i see i hear you talk about uh, chalk quite a bit uh, is there any example that you can think of that stands out it's a uh, it's a something that those in the pharma world use a lot because if you take uh, any tablet there are only a few micrograms of it or milligrams of that actual product right so if you look at paracetamol it's 600 milligrams but the tablet itself will weigh more than a gram right mm mm-hmm. so what is the rest it is just filler it has no active ingredient in it what are some of the common fillers oh i don't want to go into science here but uh, mm-hmm. most of them will be inactive stuff and so in common parlance we refer to it as chalk that it's not actually you know uh, calcium carbonate there so the fillers are lots of other things which are harmless but it would be equivalent to you swallowing chalk okay so uh, it's a term that we use amongst the community to talk about it and say it's only chalk <laughs> uh, uh, sometimes it's more dangerous than chalk but the worst case scenario is it's harmless it's as harmless as chalk okay that makes sense so, so it doesn't so... have even 1% of the ingredient in it okay. so it doesn't even have 1% of paracetamol in it mm-hmm. that's how poor standards we have found even in the official government figures they have found product with nothing in it that is that is scary indeed um I, i yeah i think i think chalk is more like a pharma term that that you guys use uh, yeah i was i was wondering what it was because you know it seems like uh, these are some of the things that uh, the us um, i mean not just us i guess all over the world uh, processed food industry uses to sort of bind everything together and uh, uh, increase its uh, its shelf life in a way yeah you have you have similar things uh, so you have cornstarch which is used a lot in the united states uh, so we use in some of the uh, tablets you'll find cornstarch is used but it's quite expensive so again we go for cheaper alternatives mm-hmm. 
cornstarch is not expensive but if you think cornstarch is expensive imagine the stuff that's going in your tablets yeah yeah i don't want to i don't want to even think about it uh yeah that's uh, that's crazy so as a consumer uh, what can one do to uh, ensure that they are getting the the right product do they just go to a go to a medical shop and be like hey give me export quality x or export quality y it's a it's a very difficult question to answer so the conventional wisdom is that the doctors know which brands are good and which are not because they're prescribing it a lot and they have patients who have responded well to some brands and not well to some other brands so that's one of the controversial areas and topics in the news recently that doctors have been prescribing brands which they don't do in the rest of the world so if you had a prescription in the united states it would be paracetamol that would be it and then you go to the pharmacy and they'll give you just paracetamol any form of paracetamol uh but here you would get a brand by the doctor not just paracetamol and the doctors explanation for that is we know that there are 300 brands of paracetamol in the market and i the doctor feel that this one brand has been more effective for my patients than the other brands mm. now that is a good explanation but then that incentivizes pharma companies to then pay the doctors to prescribe their brand so yeah, the there was some not there was some controversy with dolo right recently uh, yeah. not recently rather like last year or so yeah yeah and i wrote about it to say that you know uh, the problem is not with dolo but the issue really that came up recently was the government mandating generic prescriptions rather than names of brands on prescriptions now that's a that's solving again a problem that doesn't exist if all brands had good quality which is the government's job to ensure then having a generic prescription makes a lot of sense because they're all equal quality but if you can't ensure equal quality then the doctors believe that they should be allowed to decide in the best interest of the patient the brand that will work for that patient mm. now that sounds reasonable until you realize that doctors have been bribed to prescribe brands so you start off with poor quality the solution to poor quality is doctors decide brands pharma companies then game that system to saying we will then bribe doctors into prescribing brands so then we find a tax solution to that by saying that if pharma companies bribe doctors then we will not allow that money to be a deductible expense so you see how we are trying to solve the problem we just create more and more challenges rather than solving drug quality as a problem we find four different pieces of legislation to fix it but we still haven't fixed the drug quality problem we have a tax problem now yeah yeah it's 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 crazy how one problem is creating five different problems and and we are solving a problem with another problem uh, it's just opening a, a different can of worms uh, each time uh, wow yeah, yeah. Uh, 
so so coming back to generic medicine versus branded medicine uh, you know at least in the us like big companies like walmart and and costco they have their own uh, generic brands and uh, from what i understand there is there is a patent that a company holds for a few years and then once the patent expires everyone can get access to the formula and then they can create um, their own um, brands right so do you think that buying generic medicine in india uh, is is riskier because of less quality control and people should just go for brands uh, because and, and what is the situation in, in Western countries? Is it okay to go for a Walmart um, branded paracetamol versus, um, you know, I don't know who makes, I, I guess Tylenol, I guess. Yeah. Uh, in So I'll deal with the uh, Western world first. Hmm. In the Western world, all the drugs are identical. So your paracetamol, Calpol, Tylenol, whether you have the brand, or not, they are identical. So even if you went to a CVS or a Walgreens or Costco or any of them, mm -hmm. that is produced in India. So you're getting paracetamol from India, packaged in India and shipped to the United States. And it's delivered to you at the pharmacy. So we can produce drugs, irrespective of the brand, to a US standard. In India, we don't have a generic market really. So even though they are generics in India, all of them still have brand names. So aspirin is no longer patented. Paracetamol is no longer patented. And yet we have hundreds of paracetamol brands. So we don't really have a generic market in India. Now, the consequence of that is that each brand thinks it's unique. Each brand has a different price. Each manufacturer wants to promote that brand and therefore is pushing that brand in ways that may not be completely ethical. And so you're not really getting into a competitive market for a lot of these products. And therefore the consequence of that is that you have, let's say hundred brands, they're all being promoted in various different ways. The consumer doesn't know which brand to buy. So between the doctor's ethical standards, the pharmacist ethical standards, the pharma company's ethical standards, the patient is being squeezed. And that is the reality of it. The only place where we have generic drugs is in the government shops called Janoshadi stores which will sell you paracetamol as paracetamol. Everywhere else, there is a brand name involved. Now, in the West, that's not a problem at all because at the end of the patent life, nobody writes prescriptions in brand names. The doctors only prescribe the chemical name of the product. So it will be paracetamol in this case. It will not be Tylenol, it will not be Calpol, it will not be Crocin, none of these things. They'll just say paracetamol. And you can go to the pharmacy and the pharmacy will give you whatever paracetamol it has. There are no 10 prices for paracetamol in a pharmacy when you go there. You just get a box of pills 
and they have paracetamol written on the pill cover. That's it. There is nothing to it. So there is no marketing for a brand of paracetamol anymore. All of that is gone. And therefore, you get one quality, one product, irrespective of manufacturer. And therefore, it's easily substitutable. That's the story in the US. And because of how we have this crazy problem with drug quality, in India, we can't have substitution. We can't have generic prescriptions because of the issues involved. We fix the drug quality problem, then all of this should disappear. Hmm. So you should be okay getting generic medicines in the United States or in the Western world. And the largest market is that by volume of sales, the generic market is a multiple of the patented market. So you should be perfectly fine in the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, before we move on to the next topic, I just want to ask one last question. You mentioned about the Janoshadi stores. Uh, are they, you know, subject to good quality control and manufacturing standards? Uh, the data says they are not. So we have some studies. Again, you know, there's no incentive to do these studies in India and these large studies which need to be done. Mm -hmm. But we have some studies to show that in the government healthcare sector, the level of poor quality products is exceptionally higher than in the private market. So we know that it is not the same. It's a multiple. And we have problems with the sampling, we have problems with the methodology, with lots of those things. But even accepting that, that they use the same methodology and both are, I think, consistent in that way. They are bad, but consistent. We find that the government market products are comparatively significantly worse than the private market products. Oh, wow, <laughs> no hopes there as well. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to what to even say. I think uh, you just exposed quite a bit of uh, the pharma industry there. Uh, yeah, well, now let's move on to uh, public versus private healthcare in India and. And I'm talking from uh, I'm I'm speaking from the U.S. Uh, so I know a bit of how the U.S. healthcare works. Uh, I'm not a fan of it. I have to say that um, I was just reading about how hospitals use the charge master and this really yes. fake. I remember your system. episode on that. Yeah, it was very good. Yeah, uh, really crazy uh, uh, method of billing, and then there is no regulation. And and, and I, for the life of me, cannot understand how. People can just cook up numbers and and uh, make a deal with insurance companies. That's on one side. And then there is uh, the Canadian healthcare system, which uh, people in the US love, you know, especially the left liberals. Um, they are like, oh, the healthcare is free. The college is, uh, I guess, kind of free in Canada. Um, but but I hear that people have to wait 16 hours to get, uh, get to the emergency um, center at, at hospitals. Now, I mean, looks like both extremes are kind of bad uh, and it's important to uh, find a middle ground. And I see that 
India is somehow or somewhat the middle ground uh, where the, there is a, a good public healthcare system, well, good in relative terms, and then there is there are private players, uh, right? So uh, you wrote a recent paper on unifying the healthcare market. Um, so, so what do you see the limitations are uh, in India when it comes to public versus private healthcare, and how will unifying the healthcare market help? Uh, and you talk about uh, having a single pair, uh, payer, sorry, and how it can lower costs and and, and unify things. So, uh, would would love to hear your thoughts. The paper that you're referring to actually is one of a series, the first of a series. Uh, and this paper actually deals with just the government. Strangely, we have many government schemes for healthcare. And each of them makes no sense when you read the next one. So the central government, and we've looked at four schemes in the central government, each has different coverage, different drugs, and different prices for the same drugs. So we're first looking at just the government and saying, shouldn't the government be one market where you're providing for people covered under a government scheme? Shouldn't they all be treated alike? Shouldn't they all have to pay the same price? Shouldn't they all have access to the same hospitals? That is how we're starting by saying, can we just unify the government market in the first instance? Before we say India should be one healthcare market, we're saying, can we just unify the government healthcare market? Then we will deal with the private healthcare market. So we've looked at these schemes. We looked at what the, just the medicines cost, not even the procedures, right? Because you can claim that there's different qualities in procedures. We're saying, what does it cost to buy a pill in scheme A, B, C, D? And we find that in some cases, the pill is not available in three of the four schemes. In some cases, and we took an example of Sofospovir, it was available at 16 times the price was the difference between the two schemes. So you get for a thousand rupees here and you get for 16,000 rupees somewhere else. And it's not covered in the other two schemes. So we just said that central government should be, at least in the schemes that it runs, behave like a monopsony, is get the value of scale get the value of being one buyer. And we've seen that where the states run the schemes well, they have found great value. So Tamil Nadu is set out as an example for how a well-run healthcare scheme is. Uh, and it's the model that the uh, WHO likes uh, to project as, a, as one that others should emulate. And they have, we've had a study there, not recently, but a few years ago, to talk about how they've benefited from being a single payer, procuring centrally. Still issues to be resolved, but they are held out to be a successful way of delivering healthcare. It's odd that if Tamil Nadu can do it, why can't the central government do it? And mm -hmm. so our paper is focused on this issue that can we not rationalize the scheme so everybody gets the same coverage, gets the same price for drugs, gets the same treatments, and therefore has the same access to healthcare. 
what we discovered was that the richer you are, so if you are a high-level government servant, you actually pay the least for healthcare. Whereas if you're a factory worker covered under the employee state's insurance scheme, you actually have very poor coverage and you pay actually a higher price for most things. And this is the poorest factory worker compared to, let's say, a secretary in the government of India. So it makes no sense that the person who can afford it the most is actually paying the least. The person who can afford it the least is paying the most for exactly the same thing in the same hospital. So it's very, very strange. So that was really the research that we did and the paper that we published. Are there any other states other than Tamil Nadu who at least are willing to adopt something like this? Uh, Rajasthan has come out with an interesting legislation recently. So they have a right to health legislation. Uh, their coverage is much more than other states. So they're offering 500,000 rupees per family per year as uh, coverage. They've got prices that they've negotiated for these drugs and with hospitals. So we're waiting to see how that rolls out. We haven't seen recent research on it because it's quite a new thing, but it's learned a lot from what the other states have done. Uh, and this legislation was a result of that learning. Uh, so we'll wait to see, but after Tamil Nadu, Rajasthan seems to be the next hopeful state when it comes to healthcare. Uh, there are other states who are doing exceptionally badly. The usual suspects, Bihar and others, are doing exceptionally badly. Uh, Kerala has a very good system as well. Uh, but Kerala, again, you expect to have a very good healthcare system. They have an education healthcare system. They have a smaller geographic area, quite densely populated. So it's easier, perhaps, one may argue, to provide education, healthcare, and uh, such benefits in a densely populated small state. Yeah, uh, interesting you bring up Kerala. I was having this discussion with uh, with Krish Ashok about uh, about homeopathy. You know, uh, mm. Kerala being such such an educated state has a has has government homeopathy medical colleges, and uh, we now have the Ministry of Ayush uh, and lots of alternative medicine, uh, and and not uh, you know, I would say unregulated alternative medicine and then you have these um, ayurvedic companies like you know patanjali and others who are claiming different things and and it has become a huge huge market in india uh you know does it scare you that uh that that market is getting bigger by the day and uh and 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 the government of india is spending so much on something like a ministry of ayush what's your take on that it's very scary. It's very, very scary. Uh, and we saw it come to the fore during COVID. You know, uh, everything that could go wrong went wrong. And everything that was quietly going wrong became very evident. So if you look at the Indian government's response to that, we promoted Coronil, a Patanjali product that was dangerous. We promoted lots of Ayurvedic products. This is official promotion by government. We 
and there is no text so let's understand what ayurveda is there are approved texts for ayurveda and the law is that if you make this product in accordance with that approved text then it will be classified as ayurveda now those texts are very old and don't stand up to medical scrutiny or scientific scrutiny they have crazy stuff there which we know does not work that is one set of problems currently what is happening is people are making claims that are not even in that text so we've created a set of products which aren't even in the ayurvedic texts so coronil for example is not in an ayurvedic text there is no formula for coronil in an ayurvedic text and we have a list of approved ayurvedic texts so now we are claiming ayurveda without acknowledging the source of it so it is clearly not ayurveda because it is not in those texts but now we are saying it is herbal it is natural and that seems to be the mantra for everything these days that everything is being sold as natural and herbal i mean ashok if you follow ashok's videos he has plenty on you know natural sugar natural sweeteners uh you know maida versus atta all this crazy stuff and we are seeing that everywhere yeah so pe- people need to understand that at the end of the day even things that you get from nature are fundamentally chemicals right yes and we had a strange one where one of the baba ji said you know you should take mercury oh my goodness <laughs> uh... and it is natural and it will enhance this that and the other and i was thinking you know 200 years ago they tried it and people died 200 years ago mercury was a big thing uh, amalgam which is mercury with many other things was a big thing in b- before science figured out that it kills people just like arsenic was a big thing before science figured out it it's toxic and it's going to kill people so you know we have plenty of data to say we shouldn't be taking mercury but we have baba ji is putting out a lot of the crazy stuff Uh, a lot of the ayurvedic stuff sold as ayurvedic have lots of heavy metals in it so uh, there is a doctor on twitter he goes by the liver doctor uh, abby phillips abby and, phillips yeah yeah and yeah, it's crazy done... i i actually uh, listened to an uh, listen to a podcast of his and and the amount of pushbacks and you know threats literal threats that he got from the ministry of ayush is, is crazy i mean i am like you know here is one guy trying to fight uh, all this by uh, by promoting evidence based medicine and and if this is what he gets in return you know i mean <laughs> yeah and there are others so there is a dr babu as well who's uh, done right to information and applications figure out who has these licenses how are they made and again nobody is giving him the information when government did try to amend the law and say that listen you may whatever may be the source of your science it still needs to have some scientific basis so for example if you wanted to advertise an ayurvedic product it needs to be approved by the government because you're not allowed to uh, otherwise publicize or advertise a medical product anyway so if you're claiming it's a medical product based on ayurveda you should 
get this approved by the government you think who do you think would have gone to court to challenge it i won't put my bet on it no you'd expect you know somebody from kerala some local company in uttarakhand patanjali you know you'd expect those guys to do it right dabar mm-hmm. the well known ayurvedic brands would you expect racket bank kaiser to go to court they are the guys who went to court with a lot of others and why is that because they claim eno to be an ayurvedic product Hmm. they claim iodex to be an ayurvedic product so it is not just the locals who are claiming all these miraculous cures there's a lot riding on the big brands and i have asked this question many times of many people can you show me the ayurvedic text which has bicarbonate of soda in it <laughs> hmm where where does bicarbonate of soda naturally occur I don't know where it occurs naturally. How can it occur naturally? And who distilled bicarbonate of soda or purified bicarbonate of soda from natural sources using Ayurvedic principles, and then sold it as Eno? Where is the source for this in an Ayurvedic text? I want to know what is the Sanskrit word for bicarbonate of soda. <laughs> somebody yeah. should have it right if it's in the ayurvedic text it would be in sanskrit i haven't been able to find what the sanskrit word for bicarbonate of soda is mm-hmm. and if there isn't a sanskrit word for bicarbonate of soda can it be ayurvedic preparation nobody's found me an answer for this yet yeah I've the first many years yeah the first time i i thought about this was uh, when i saw something called uh, I, i think it was meswak ayurvedic toothpaste and yes. i was i was checking uh, colgate and you know none of the ingredients were anything related to ayurvedic and i'm like how how the hell do you make an ayurvedic toothpaste that's crazy they're all claiming it now you know you look at uh, even the big brands like colgate are claiming herbal and ayurvedic so in the old days it was just the locals that were claiming this now you have the multinationals claiming ayurvedic immune booster all of this and covid had a big role to play in this everything is immune boosting now you know uh, pure sugar is immune boosting you know horlicks for example immune boosting that's pure starch right there's nothing else in horlicks but that now has become immune boosting uh, and it's it's a huge issue and it's a lack of regulation that causes this to happen if we can't regulate drugs at the time when they are launched into the market and again covid gave us great examples of that right you promoted all this crazy stuff you promoted homeopathy during that time you promoted all this hocus pocus that you had with coronel and the others you allowed the big pharma companies to launch drugs that you knew would have no effect on covid so uh, we had a big push from the government for a drug called hcqs and they gave it to everybody every government servant so the policemen the municipal workers all were put on an hcqs regimen we knew it has no effect on covid 
what was the impact of that? It is that those people who needed HCQS now couldn't get it. So here is the crazy thing. You take a good drug for two known uses and that is not a large quantity of drug. You create a market which is all municipal workers, policemen, doctors, everybody, which is like millions of people. And you take away this drug from those who are using it for years and give it to people who have no use for it, in fact, are suffering side effects from it. This is government policy at that time. We allow uh, remdesivir to come into the market and every Tom, Dick and Harry is being given remdesivir. Suddenly we have a shortage of remdesivir. We allow favipiravir, which we know has no use, but we sold, you know, a million dollars of that product week on week on week, knowing that it has no use and doctors were prescribing it to everyone. We had italuzumab, which we know does not work. So without any trials, without proof of efficacy, the government was allowing these drugs to come into the market. In fact, promoting many of these drugs. So if you're not stopping anything, you're actually promoting all of this. At the very stage of what drug should be allowed into the market, and they're all guaranteed to be poor quality. That is your pharma market in India for you. The regulator is really to blame for all of this. Yeah, I mean, there was a there was a case in Kerala where, um, you know, a product, a so-called Ayurvedic product was advertised as uh, something that will make your hair grow mm. and, uh, you know, thick and black and whatnot. And then <laughs> someone someone just uh, uh, filed a case against them saying that, hey, there's, there's no effect on me. And then uh, I think the the court said, that the main actor or whoever was in the advertisement had to pay something like 2000 rupees as fine or something uh, that that brings me to the to, to the thought that you know you were mentioning about horlicks and i guess bonvita is also the same where it's all just starch and sugar you know if if someone wants to uh, file a case that hey it's not doing something uh, that's supposed to do. I think one example that comes to my mind is I think Bone Vita uh, or Complan, I forget which one, um, just added this word called immuno booster when COVID happened. And it yeah. apparently had the same formula and, and nothing had changed. So uh, if someone wants to file a, a case uh, against um, these big corporations, um, A, has there been a significant rise in cases with people being more aware uh, or uh, has there been significant pushbacks that everyone is just silent and just goes with the flow? Uh, we go back to our first topic, which is that no one's going to get anything from the courts, right? So that's your first problem. Hmm. In in any other universe, you wouldn't have allowed this advertisement to go out because it's affecting public health. It's a real public health crisis if you go out and advertise like this. So the food safety officer, the drug controller, both would have come down heavily on this. The Advertising Standard Councils of Ind Council of India would have directed that this advertisement be withdrawn. They haven't done anything similar. So again, we are in the same problem that if none of the agencies 
required by law to do its job is going to do it, the courts are not going to help you. It's unlikely that you will get anything out of the courts, even if you do win. So let's take the extreme example. During COVID, lots of people died. Some of them died because of the vaccine. We know they died after taking the vaccine. It's now almost three years. We still don't know how many people died during the clinical trial of the vaccine. The government should tell us. The company should tell us. There is a log supposedly maintained. But we know for a fact that many of these deaths were never reported. When they were reported, they were dismissed without recording them. People have gone to court. So there are cases pending. At least I know in Kerala there is a case pending because I was asked for some advice on it. Mm-hmm. But the courts would not help at all. The High Court refused to say that, tell the government to publish data. In fact, when the government said vaccination is mandatory, the courts refused to say no, it should be voluntary. I mean, the case, there's so many cases at that time saying you're calling it voluntary, but you're imposing strictures on those who are not vaccinated. Therefore, it's effectively mandatory. Shouldn't we have some court explain this to us? How do they say it's voluntary, but actually mandatory? If it is, in fact, mandatory, because the consequences are that you're going to be locked in your house if you don't vaccinate, then shouldn't we be given information that helps us decide? Information that the government has, and the government refused to publish it or provide that information. Now, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, right? I've taken the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So it's not a crazy uh, right-wing anti-vaxxer advocacy here. But just basic information we weren't getting, and we still haven't got. Contrast that with the U.S., where we got transcripts and we could watch live the approval process for vaccines and any of the drugs at that time. So why would anyone go to court? And even if they did go to court, now years have gone by, we made no progress. Yeah, People haven't got you know, uh, any remedy, any recourse to the law for the babies who died taking that cough syrup many years ago. Mm. We've had cases in uh, Jammu, we've had cases in Chandigarh, we've had cases in other parts of the country as well, where babies have died after being given cough syrup. Many years have gone by now. Nobody's gone to jail, nobody's paid a penny. Children have died and there's been no recourse available to them in the law. So in those extreme cases, if you've never had anybody being held responsible, what is the chance that if a brand says it's immune booster, anybody's going to get any recourse for it? You know, baby's dying, no recourse for the law. Some little puffery in advertisement, no chance. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's quite different. I think you can't just sue and win a bounty. Uh, with, with these 
And I, I don't think the case is any different in the US. You know, there is there are these studies which show um, that a lot of chemicals found in processed food are, are just super bad for you. And then the European Union, I think, does a lot, I mean, takes it a lot more seriously, right? I mean, uh, so many things are banned in um, the European Union and they are allowed in the US. Uh, uh, it just takes me back to the sugar lobby, I think, of the 1950s and 60s, which which really pushed the government to, um, uh, yeah, I mean, just with marketing and all of that. So, yeah, I mean, even even in 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 a country like the US, it's it's been really tough to to regulate um, the use of chemicals. Yeah, and you, you look you're looking at the sugar lobby. Uh, the pharma lobby is actually bigger than the sugar lobby in the US. So. And despite that, you have better regulation in the US than you have in India. <laughs> so I, I don't understand what the incentive for the Indian government is, considering we don't have such a big pharma lobby in India. You know, who, how are they incentivized to have poor quality? How are they incentivized to allow babies to die? How does that work? Why do they not have an incentive to get better quality, to preserve human lives? Clearly, that's an Indian problem. We just don't value lives. I guess maybe it's uh, um, just thinking about this. Maybe it's just eating into their profit margins, right? I mean, the the kind of some of the examples that you gave of of raw material that goes into ma- making these, and you know, even even a processed food, uh, the margin I think is just so high that they don't want to do anything to cut that margin. Yes, but that's the story of pharma everywhere in the world, right? And yet you have better quality in the United States and in Western Europe, despite the huge pharma lobbying, which is a multiple of many other similar lobbies. So in terms of pharma spend, uh, there was some study put out that the pharma manufacturers put together, the sector spends more on advertising, marketing and lobbying than on R&D. So if yeah. they are able to still, despite that much spending, still get higher standards than India, you must ask the question, what is the issue in India? Uh, what is the pharma lobby in India doing to get away with this kind of stuff? The difference in the US and India, again, is that if such an event happened, babies died due to cough syrup, Lots of people would go to jail and companies would go bankrupt. Heads would roll. Hmm. Which won't happen here. And therefore, they can get away with it. So it's not just the profit margin. The profit margins are the same. Tell me the last time a US pharma company went bankrupt. Yeah, I mean, they have been there for, uh, I guess, 50, 60 years at least. Yeah, the major ones. And if you look at the S&P 500, the number of pharma companies there hasn't changed over life. So there must be, it's the only industry where very little has changed over so many years. Yeah, I think think the only companies that, yeah, 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 yeah. The only companies that have come in are tech companies and the companies that have gone out are the oil companies, I guess. No, lots of companies have gone out. I mean, Mm -hmm. car manufacturers come and go. You have lots of companies in the manufacturing sector that have come and gone services sectors that have come and gone. But when was the last time a pharma company in the S&P went out? 
So it says something about how they have managed to game the system and to always be profitable. The only time a company would go bankrupt is if they wanted to go bankrupt. So Purdue Pharma, for example, there's an incentive to go bankrupt, right? So that they don't have to pay out. Other than that, when was the last time a US company or a European company went bankrupt? Pharma company went bankrupt. So the profits are not a problem. They're hugely profitable. And yet they have good regulation. So the Indian problem is not profit. They're all very profitable. And they want to make it at the cost of lives. That is the difference. Mm. There it would be unacceptable. And we've seen that with large litigation. You remember the weight loss drugs many years ago and the consequences of that. And companies there did pay out billions in compensation. Wyeth was one of them that was holed up for the weight loss drugs uh, and what it caused. And they had to pay out for it. So that is a consequence there for side effects, for adverse reactions to these drugs. There is none here. People die and you can get away with it. So it's not about profit. It's about being able to get away with it. Yeah, I I, I was reading um, an example of uh, corporate responsibility. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, it comes in the same bracket, but I was reading about the Chicago Tylenol murders. Um, I think it was in the 70s or the early 80s where, uh, you know, someone just went into a, a store and, you know, took off um, the the lid and put in some cyanide and lots of people were killed in random places in Chicago. And then Johnson and Johnson, you know, jumped in and, you know, they, it, they completely took off all Tylenol from the shelves and invented the tamper-proof seal. So uh, it's it's quite remarkable. And I think it's one of the best case studies as well. It's taught in MBA schools about how corporates can jump in and uh, make sure that the customers are uh, are given priority. So, yeah. yeah, and we've seen many of those, uh, I think, everywhere in the world, except India. Mm-hmm. Because again, there's no incentive on them to do it. Yeah. Nobody's going to jail. Nobody's responsible for it. Uh, there's no real damage to the reputation of the brand, and you can get away with it. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a place which law has forgotten in a way, mm. and therefore it's pharma or food companies or any of them can get away with it. And we don't have the law to actually come down heavily and say you have to comply or we'll throw you out of business. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's a it's an interplay of, you know, people not wanting to up their manufacturing standards and also the slow redressals and, and lack of incentives of, of going behind something like this. Murli, uh, I have not even not even completed my quota or uh, list of questions, but um, it was such a pleasure and an honor talking to you. And I think, you know, I learned so much um uh, myself regarding the law and order and the pharma industry uh cannot thank you enough uh Murli, for your time i know we went way overboard uh and way over time uh as well so uh just wanted to thank you uh, this was great fun thank you so much uh this is great fun yeah thanks <laughs>